Thank you for joining Life Builders Church in Rangbar. We pray that this message encourages and inspires you. Good morning, everybody. I do try to maintain my childlike qualities as much as possible. <laughs> in my mind, I believe it's taking delight in the simple things, but sometimes I'm just a child. <laughs> People at work say, oh, you're so mature, Dave. I'm like, yeah, I am. Ask my wife. She'll tell you I am. <laughs> Honest. <laughs> this thing, I'm just not happy with this stand. Here we go. I think this is on. Okay, why don't I just pray before I start. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for your word and I thank you for the leading of your Holy Spirit. And I thank you, God, that you work within us regardless of whether we believe in you or not, God. You still work within us to open our eyes and our minds and our hearts um, to the things of you and the beauty that is all around us, God. And I pray this morning, God, that you would open our eyes and our minds, open our ears, our hearts, to hear what you have to say. Urge us, God, within our spirits to learn from you and take on what you have to say to each of us individually. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning with your presence, God, and that you would teach us um, through your word. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Uh, A number of years ago... I used to go to high school camps. Hands up if you've been to high school camp at some point in your life. There's quite a few people. Um, I had the opportunity to run the activities um, a couple of years in a row. Um, and I had One year I had multiple games going on at the same time. So you have about 10 or 12 teams of youth um, and I had multiple games going on at the same time. So each team was playing a different game and then they'd kind of record their score after a time limit and they'd move on to the next game. So a bit of competition goes a long way, right? But the idea behind most of the games is to actually build teams, build because they come and intentionally all the people from this church that go to high school camp are split up and put into different teams with people they don't know. So as a team leader, if you run a small group with teenagers on the first day you have to have a team meeting and you're trying to get them to say something about themselves and you just get the looking sideways and down and no one wants to, there's always one or two that want to talk the whole time but most people don't want to say anything. So the games are designed to try and get people on board with each other as a team um, and to I suppose build that team environment and they get to know each other Um, and if possible you could put things in the games where the leaders and team time can mention it and it can reflect somewhere in a message that's been spoken or something like that. So that's good as well. Um, So how do you make a game that builds that teamwork? What do you do as an activities coordinator for 100 or 120 teenagers? What game do you come up with that will build teamwork? And for me, the number one thing was to make it as annoying as possible for most people because that way they just dislike it. And in the dislike, everyone comes together because they all hate me, right? They don't like me. (laughs) They're like, this guy, he's come up with these stupid things. Why are we doing this? That's one of the requirements. Either that or you make it so it has to involve endurance or it's hard to do or it's difficult and no one person can do it by themselves because that way, again, they have to come together. When they have to endure through something, if it's annoying and it's difficult, then they have to bond together and cheer each other on in that so that they can win because you always have to try and win, right? So these are the kind of things that I used to come up with and if the game was finished, people would often walk past and say, that was terrible, that really sucked, I hated that. (laughs) I was like, yes! (laughs) 
if no one got involved, it would be different. But if you can watch the games and you watch people play them and they are all really intensely involved and then they tell me afterwards that it was horrible, then that's a win because everybody did it and everybody was building teamwork and friendships and it all worked. I remember one time I had um, organised a game which was called Carrying Your Cross. It was one of these small games. Um, so I made a cross at home out of just two pine sleepers and two or three bolts to hold it together. Nothing fancy. In hindsight, it might have been too heavy for some people. But the game was to carry it on your shoulder down a little way down a hill and back up again and then pass it to the next person in your team and on and on and on and on and on for the time limit of three or five minutes or whatever. There were some people that really struggled with that and I had some not so good feedback afterwards too from some people. It was a wooden cross and I had a quite a lot of, um, you can imagine, cliched religious answers for people that had whinges about that game, about carrying their cross. Not all of them appreciated that. But they had things to say like, why couldn't they do it in pairs? It hurt their shoulder. Why was it so heavy? Why couldn't it be made from pool noodles? Because they would be light and soft and fluffy, right? Why, why strain so hard when the whole idea was to run back and forwards up a hill with it? Why carry something heavy that hurts your shoulder? But that's the whole point, isn't it? Jesus carried his cross as far as he was able and he tells us to take up our own cross and follow him. And he doesn't say anything about pool noodles, <laughs> surprisingly. I'm, gonna, I'm believing... Yep, is that me or is that someone up the desk there? I'm clicking. I've clicked it both ways now and it's either, it's off in both positions. Off and off. You guys are going to have to change it. That's okay. <coughs> anyway, Mark chapter 8, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So whoever wants to be a disciple of Jesus must, the word must is in there, must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow him. There is no other way. There is no pool noodle version of the cross. There is no trolley to tow it on. There is no special padded cross or shoulder pads. In the end, there is no way to deny yourself. <laughs> I had the wrong one. Maybe. <laughs> Thank you. There is no way to deny yourself unless you yourself choose to do that. People can encourage you to be accountable and hold you accountable. People can encourage you to carry your cross, but in the end, they can't make you deny yourself. In the end, you have to choose for yourself, don't you, to deny yourself. You personally must choose to take up your cross. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for all, 
and he carried his cross. And why? So that those who live should no longer live for themselves. But it's not only that though, is it? A lot of people claim hardship and suffering and denying themselves over and over and over in all sorts of things in the name of Jesus. But do they actually live for him? Or do they merely beat themselves? Like Paul says, thinking that they're gaining extra credit for the hardships that they're inflicting upon themselves. Paul says, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. There is an element of self-sacrifice, isn't there? If you're fasting or you're intentionally going away into times of solitude, all those spiritual disciplines that we enjoy so much, those things that teach us how to set ourselves aside, there is an element of doing that self-sacrifice so that you can learn to set yourself aside in any situation and follow what the Holy Spirit is asking you to do. But it's not only about that, is it? Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's no longer us. If you believe in Jesus, he is within you already. It's no longer about us. It's about Jesus. It's not all about sacrificing yourself over and over and over. It's about replacing the things that your earthly self wants with something better than that. So yes, you have to sacrifice. I'm not saying don't sacrifice or deny yourself, but you can't just do that part. You have to choose the living for Jesus part as well. It has What you're sacrificing has to be replaced with something that Jesus wants you to do or a way he wants you to live. We're replacing earthly things with godly things, trading up. We're trading things that lead to death, things that perish and fade for life to the full. As Jesus says in John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. So now where is the cross that we have to carry when Jesus talks about life to the full? Like those, the teenagers running up and down the hill, life was not full for them during that game because they were struggling to get more points for their team carrying this heavy lump of wood up and down the hill. Does it seem a bit contradictory to you that we have to carry this cross that would seem like a burden and a struggle and at the same time Jesus is offering us life to the full? If we are to follow Jesus and be his disciples, we must take up our cross and follow him. But at the same time, where is life to the full in that? Have you ever thought about that? This is the way my mind works. <laughs> if I'm carrying a heavy cross, a burden, a weight that's difficult and a struggle, where is life to the full? And actually, Jake would be proud of me. I actually looked at the Greek words for this. <laughs> I can't pronounce the Greek words, but I looked up the Strong's Concordance for all these words. To take up our cross literally means to pick up a cross, a literal cross. But to lose our life 
means to lose our breath or our spirit. That life that God breathes into us. To lose that life means to deny it utterly, to fully destroy it. But if we do lose our lives in that way for the sake of the gospel, then we will save it. Except it's not the same kind of life that we take up then, is it? It's the life that Jesus offers, that life to the full in John 10.10. And life to the full means physical life in the present, as well as spiritual life, particularly in a futuristic sense. So it's not, just, it's not just speaking about heaven, I suppose. When Jesus says life to the full, we are meant to have a full life here in the present as well as a future life with him in heaven. That's what that means, life to the full. That's what the Greek people meant. <laughs> it's not written quite that well in English. It means it's not just life. It actually means super abundant life, superior life or excessive life. And so often I think we seem to see the hard picture, don't we? The hard side of life, like the disciples rowing in the storm or the disciples wondering how on earth do we feed 5,000 people when we've got nothing or not being able to stay awake with Jesus when he asks you to pray or fishing all night only to catch nothing. We seem to see the struggle, don't we, so often? And the, de the denial of self, in a way, almost feels like a milestone, I think, for some people where it's another badge, like another scout badge they can sew on their shoulder that I've denied myself in this and I'm constantly fasting all the time and I'm doing this and I'm doing that. And the struggle seems like it's something we have to feel within ourselves before God will do something else in us so that we can some way gain something from him in us putting aside ourselves and going through all these struggles like carrying a wooden cross up and down a hill over and over again, we think that if we just take the pain for a while, then we'll win the game. And more than that, if we carry our cross faster than everyone else, two crosses, three crosses, or somebody else's cross, then we'll have extra credit with Jesus. We'll gain some kind of special award for extra hardship. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. I want to ask you what stands out to you in this verse. So hands up if you the primary thing you notice is that God is faithful. So there's a couple of words in here that stand out. What about he will strengthen you? A few different hands. You can put your hand up for everyone. It's okay. <laughs> They're good words. Uh, what's the other one? What about he will protect you? Yep. Three different things, really, in this verse, isn't there? Protect you from the evil. He will do all those things. He strengthens us to protect us, doesn't he? That's part of the deal. It's not us walking into wherever we want and to do whatever we want to do, and then God will protect us from evil, even though we're being stupid with our choices. God puts within us a thing that will help us protect ourselves if we follow him. When we, when we choose Jesus as our saviour, we are set free from Satan leading us. And because of the Holy Spirit that's within us already, we can choose to follow God's direction. Evil has literally no power over us if we believe in Jesus because Jesus is within us and he has overcome all of that. When we read that word strengthen, 
what comes to mind. I think I personally, I read that and I immediately think that in a situation, God is going to make me stronger. God is going to give me more strength than what I have. God is going to take what strength I have and he's going to make it bigger somehow so that I can overcome this thing. Do you notice how, how many times I said me? How many times I said I? Like it's me that becomes stronger in that situation when it's really not about that. That word strengthen really means in the Greek to turn resolutely in a certain direction or to be made secure, to make fast or to be established or firmly planted. What we're actually given the word strengthen isn't quite accurate, is it? What we're actually given is a will and a desire to do God's will. That's what we are given to help protect us from evil. It's not so much the strength that we think about in a physical or a mental, intellectual kind of strength. It's a resolute, firm resolve to do what God wants us to do in any given situation. And in that, then we're protected, aren't we? And God protects us in that sense where he gives us those things within us so that we can choose the right thing and do his will. Philippians 2 says, For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. So it's not so much that we are given more strength, especially in the way that we usually view strength. Hey, What we're given is the direction to choose and the ability to choose that. The will to choose that. But we can still choose the opposite, can't we? Why do you think Paul starts that? It goes on and on about grumbling and complaining and arguing. Why does Paul have to write that? If we can choose every single time the right choice. He's reminding people we can't, we can't argue and we can't grumble and all the other words that follow on in those next verses. We still need to choose even though inside us the Holy Spirit urges us to do godly things, we still have to choose. And from Colossians 2, these verses say the same thing. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. In a lot of other translations, the word established is used instead of strengthened in this verse. It's the same meaning again, to be made secure and firmly planted, to turn resolutely in a certain direction. If we are rooted and built up and established in Jesus, we're not just seeds that can be washed away, are we? We have roots that are tapped into him. We've been nourished by him as we read his word and as we sit with him in prayer. We've grown in him. We're built up and established in him. And it's God that establishes us. God that strengthens us. God that gives us the will and the desire. God that gives us that deep resolve, deep down to pursue him and to do the things he wants. Second Thessalonians chapter 2. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. 
So here we see that word strengthened again, don't we? It's exactly the same meaning. But this time we can see it again. This time we can see it has the words good deeds and words included as well afterwards, which means what? That when we do good, work, good deeds and we speak good words to people, our hearts are strengthened. God will strengthen us in doing those things. That's what Paul is praying over the Thessalonians in those verses. That God will strengthen our hearts and establish us and build us up when we do good things. Good things that are already planned for us, aren't they? Each and every day, God's word says that. And what's that called? Doing good things for God is called faith, isn't it? Doing things for God, trusting that he will take those things and he will use them for his glory. Trusting that he will do this, strengthen our hearts, turn us resolutely in his direction as we do those good things. Because sometimes we don't feel like it, do we? We don't feel like running up and down the stupid hill with a stupid cross because it's so stupidly heavy. And we think we, we know we should love this person or we know we should give something to that person. But at the same time, inside, we don't want to. We don't want to do love that person because that's difficult and they're annoying and horrible people and we don't want to give to this organization or this starving child or that person who's our friend because it's our money we worked hard for it we don't feel like doing it but at the same time god is in us wanting to establish something bigger than ourselves in our hearts the holy spirit works within us urging us to do these things and we have a choice don't we we have a choice to say yes I will have faith and trust that God is going to work through this or no, I'm going to choose myself this time around. That's really A and B, isn't it? Faith without works is dead, is the verse. And why is that, do you think? Why is faith dead without works? Because if you don't do the works, you can't prove your faith. Or the other way around, if you don't have the faith, then you can't do the works? Or is it more along the lines of, if you don't do the works, the good deeds and the words, then your heart won't be made resolute in a certain direction. You won't be strengthened. You won't be built up and established in Christ. To use different wording, if you don't do as Jesus asks you to do, your faith won't be established. It won't be built up. It won't be firmly grounded and rooted in him. Your faith won't really be faith, will it? If we don't do anything with that. Because faith is active, has to be active. I can't say that, that I believe that chair will hold my weight and then never sit in it because no one is going to believe me when I say that chair will hold my weight, but I'm not going to sit in it. I can't go to work and tell people that I go to church and I love Jesus and I want to serve him and then do all the same things that they do because there's no difference in their mind, is there, between them and me, people that don't believe in Jesus doing the same things as the people that do believe in Jesus. There has to be an active faith element Otherwise, we're not being built up in Christ. 
Colossians 1. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behaviour. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. If you believe in Jesus, you have been reconciled to God through Jesus. Your debts have been paid. All of them have been paid. And in God's sight, you are clean without blemish. God doesn't see anything wrong with you. Free from accusation. All those things that you think in your mind are not good enough for God. You're free. God can't accuse you of those things because of what Jesus has done. But in the middle of that there, at the start of verse 23, there's a hyphen, isn't there? And that little word, if. We're holy in his sight, if. We're free from accusation, if we continue in the faith established and firm and if we do not move from the hope we find in the gospel so then how do we continue in our faith so that we don't have to read that little word if because we're sure that we are how do we continue in that faith we pick up our cross don't we Jesus says we must if we want to be his disciple. We carry it, which means we choose Jesus each and every day. It's not about carrying baggage all the time. It's not about the struggles we have in this earthly life. The cross that Jesus wants us to carry is to let ourselves go and put him in that place every day. And that's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? We have to choose him and choose to apply ourselves to works of faith, no matter how small they are. He's not asking us to stand in front of a million people like Billy Graham or Reinhard Bonnke. He's asking you to talk to that one guy you meet at the coffee shop or that one lady you see at the shop or the person that works at the desk next to you at work. People that you know already, that's where it starts. Reinhard Bonnke started by singing on a street corner and trying to get people to come to Christ, preaching on the street. And bit by bit by bit over his life, God used him in bigger and bigger and bigger ways because he continued in the faith. And not everyone is destined to do that. God doesn't have plans for each of us to stand in front of a million people. God has a purpose for each of us. And sometimes just being faithful in those small things and applying ourselves to choosing Jesus each and every day in those small things is what makes all the difference, both in our hearts and in somebody else's. If you want to live the full life that Jesus has for you, then you must take up your cross. You must deny yourself and trust him. There is no verses 
like it was in the title slide. There is no taking up your cross versus full life. They have to walk hand in hand. They have to be tied together because without carrying your cross and choosing Jesus, you will never be established in Christ enough to have full life like Jesus wants you to have. Remember that God works in you to will and to act. It's not your strength. It's his strength all the way. It is his strength inside of you doing the work. All you have to do is speak the words. All you, do, all you have to do is to encourage someone or be kind or be giving, setting yourself aside to do that. And then Jesus will do the rest. He already puts that desire in you to do that. You just have to kind of tap into that, I suppose, and work with that. We are Jesus's hands and feet on this earth, aren't we? He wants to turn you resolutely to his path so that you can walk with him. He wants you to pick up your cross and he wants you to stand up for him and make a difference wherever you are in whatever you're doing. It's not all about just sacrificing things all the time without choosing him. You have to choose him at the same time. Let's just take a minute, 60 seconds, um, just to pray and ask God, I suppose, what good deeds does he have for you today, tomorrow, this week? What things of faith, small things, big things? Just ask God what he wants you to do and ask him to help you to carry that cross each and every day. Let's just spend a minute doing that. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for challenging us this morning through your spirit. God, with all the Christian people that we know and even who we are, God, we see around us a world that is falling apart. People that have no hope. People that have things going on in their life that they cannot control and they have nothing to turn to, God. They have no one to turn to. But yet, God, we, we fast and we spend time in your word and we give a little bit of extra money now and again to things. We do these things, God, as spiritual disciplines, I suppose, but at the same time, people all around us are living in despair. People around us are finding it extremely difficult just to make ends meet. And people are so afraid at the moment, God, of COVID and all different economic and government pressures, all, all sorts of things. God, I pray that you would help us to do these works of faith, these good deeds, and to speak good words, your words of hope into other people's lives. God, help us to do these things and to be established in you. Turn our hearts, God, resolutely to your path and help us to live in faith help us to do these things knowing that it may not come back our way God except through the blessings you give us within our own hearts help us God to understand that it's not about us and how strong or how weak we think we are it's all about you God working within us, working through us your strength is within us God and that is what counts Help us, God, to grab firmly that hope of the gospel. 
the good news that because of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit within us, working in us, powerfully working within us to change even our own hearts before anyone else's. Help us, God, this week to choose you over and over and over. Help us to take up our cross and to carry it and to trust and believe that you will work through us, God. And if nothing happens this week as we do that, I pray that you would continue to strengthen us, that we in faith and belief and trust in you can work next week carrying our cross as well. And to continue, God, until your time is right and the right person crosses our path. And then that we would seize that opportunity and step in faith, God, believing that you will use us in some small way in somebody else's life. Thank you, God, for all the goodness that you bestow on us, all the love you give to us each and every day, though we wander to and fro, distracted by different things. Thank you, God, that you want to use us as your people to help others in this world and to make their lives a little bit better. And eventually, God, that they may come to know you and love you. Thank you, God, again, for just being good and loving and so great in our lives. Amen. We pray you've enjoyed this message from Life Builders Church in Rainbow. For more information about our church, please go to our website at www.lifebuilderschurch.org.au. Till next time, God bless.